is you can't get into flow state if you're in back-to-back meetings all day. It requires space. It requires intentional time spent on that task that you're that you're working towards mastering. Um, so at a systemic level, we definitely need to take a hard look at how we get our work done and create that space for our employees. Welcome to Voices of Inclusion, brought to you by Matheson, your all-in-one DEI platform. Before we get into the episode, don't forget to comment, like, and subscribe. Also, follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at matheson.io. Let's get back to the episode. I know a person named Kat Ferguson, who is just one of the most amazing leaders that I've ever come across um, in my, I would say, 18 years of professional experience. And... um, we have the distinct honor of speaking with her sister today, uh, Marissa. Um, and so I know Marissa as an incredible HR leader at Amplitude. Um, but Marissa, for those that don't know you yet, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Thanks, Robert. I am happy to, and I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I <laughs> um, I have this beautiful relationship um, and benefit from it greatly. And what I will say is, I was joking to you before we jumped on that I taught my sister everything that she knows, but really, it's a lot of the the reverse. We we really do learn from and lean on each other, which is really cool um, to have, especially in a professional space. Um, nice. But yeah. I call myself an accidental HR professional. Um, I initially went to school with the intent to be an applied behavioral psychologist and work with autistic kiddos. And I did that. I I got into um, classrooms and what I I realized two things pretty early on. The first was that I was going to burn out quickly doing that work, which I think is such important work. And actually my oldest son, um, Theo, who's three and a half, was recently diagnosed as autistic. And so now I'm in that world again. Um, Past me maybe knew that future me would end up (laughs) um, in there. And um, the other thing, though, that I noticed when I was in that setting was that how the staff interacted, how they talked about the communication they were getting from senior people in the schools, it really impacted the classroom setting. And I thought there has to be a way that I can help these kiddos, but at a more systemic higher level. And so that's how I found organizational psychology. Um, and I went to, to school, I got my master's degree in positive organizational psychology. So instead of looking at deficits and getting people to uh, neutral, looking at, you know, despite all odds and conditions, who are the people who are um, flourishing is the term that we would use in, in the field. Um, but in any organization and any setting, you have these people who shouldn't be able to, to perform or to succeed, but yet they do. Um, so studying that and taking those principles, I had every intention, Robert, of going back into schools or hospital setting maybe. Um, but at the time I found this job, it sounded a little similar. Uh, but it was in corporate America. It was called an HR business partner. And I thought, well, that's something that I can, that I can do. And eventually I'll get back into it, but um, I never left (laughs) over 10 years later. And I've been growing and building those capabilities. And again, I started out in that HR business partner space, working with, with senior leaders on their organizational strategy and talent people strategy. And today, now my career has been, (laughs) I've gotten to have so many cool experiences, but today I lead a small but mighty team at Amplitude and we're responsible for enabling a high performance culture 
for the organization through development, performance, and engagement of, we, we call our employees amplitiers, so for our amplitiers. Um, and for folks who aren't as familiar with that space, talent management, um, internally, we call our team talent success. Um, that's everything from onboarding to learning and development and performance management. So that's my my day-to-day -day that I get to live today. That's amazing. Um, and I think it's interesting that you mentioned your, your background, um, especially your, your collegiate background, because it kind of seems like you, you were kind of drawn to that career field due to the fact that you're inquisitive. And, um, you know, there was this phrase that um, Tupac used to say a lot, which was like, the rose grew from the concrete. And it seemed like you actually were trying to figure out, okay, so, okay, how much sun does it need? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, how much water, you know, and I think that's such an amazing thing. <laughs> I love that you brought Tupac, Tupac into it because that's, that's exactly... <laughs> That's the log line right there. Right. <laughs> that's exactly, exactly what we were trying to do. And that's what the field of positive psychology attempts to do. Yeah. That, that's cool. Um, you know, I know that you work uh, in a tech business and I think in SaaS businesses, it seems like everything kind of needs to be done like yesterday. Um, and in larger organizations, I know that they're less nimble. Um, but what's something that an enterprise leader typically does that would be useful for leaders that are at smaller organizations? Yeah, so I mentioned I've had the opportunity to work and consult um, in a bunch of companies with senior leaders and enterprise leaders definitely have the benefit of, you know, oftentimes bigger budgets, um, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. less speed, uh, but what works for them typically and what really can benefit leaders at smaller companies is being deliberate and intentional about their organizational strategies. So smaller organizations, there's a ton of pressure to produce. There's a lot of like, like squirrel, <laughs> like shiny object, what are, what are our competitors doing? Let's jump on and, and do that. And a lot of it ends up costing a lot of dollars, right? If you think about employees, you have a smaller footprint of population, you're having them spend time on, on work that's not necessarily going in any one direction. And so um, with a clear strategy and priorities, and by priorities, I mean like three, not 10. <laughs> I've been at companies that are saying we're prioritizing and it's 10 priorities and that's not effective. Um, but coupled with that, they also can benefit from having a plan to ensuring they're building the right capabilities in their organization, within their people for today and tomorrow. So a lot of leaders focus on the org strategy and not coupled with the people strategy. You need both in order to weather the storm that we're cur currently seeing. That is so interesting. And, you know, as a reformed recruiter, um, I know that a lot of times. <laughs> I, I love a lot that. Of I'm going to hold on to that. <laughs> A lot of times, um, employers of enterprise organizations, they want their um, the person that they recruit to be from an enterprise organization. And it sounds like you're saying that someone from like a smaller, mighty organization could be a perfect fit for an enterprise level opportunity. That's yeah, cool. we have to be we have to be really careful as well to the other thing I see in smaller organizations. This episode was brought to you by you or your company. Well, it could be. Feel free to reach out to me at robert.woods at matheson.io for an ad placement right here. It could be right here, like right here. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Especially, so my company, we're um, just under 700. Like you can get to a spot where you start to only hire people, especially on your leadership teams who come in externally. 
Mm. And what you're doing when you're doing that is you're creating this ceiling for people internally. If you're not building the right capabilities, you certainly need a mix of both for sure. But mm -hmm. um, we see in the research that people brought in from externally, internally to a company at a VP level, 60% failure rate to perform in that role in less than wow. two years, tenure on average, particularly in tech. And so that's something that that's why when I see what what my team does for the organization or any like talent management team thinking about not only the onboarding experience for, you know, your new employees, new managers, but what are you doing for your senior level leaders coming in? Because mm -hmm. making sure that they're set up for success and they are understanding the culture, like that culture piece is such a it's such a big undervalued aspect. Um, of being successful and timed, like we would use terms like time to value in your role. Mm. And in an organization, you can accelerate that by helping your leaders understand the culture that they're coming into. And particularly, we rarely onboard people at that director and above level when they're coming in, because we assume they've done it before, they're smart, they'll figure it out, but they actually need the most help. Wow, that is very strong, so powerful. Um, and, you know, I think it's amazing that you were you, you were a part of the um, the organizational psychology movement, especially from an educational perspective. But, you know, when you combine the word flow, I feel like it's just kind of it could be an incredible uh, or your experience can have an incredible impact. And I think the, the word flow um, can be really polarizing, depending on depending on who you ask. I know a lot of people that are like into uh, meditation or yoga might be like, yeah, flow is the way. <laughs> it seems like flow can be the key to a business truly operating like a well-oiled machine. So um, could you take us through the implementation process of flow in organizations? Absolutely. And flow is definitely one of those phrases, kind of like grit that can be over <laughs> overused, right? It's so yes. overused. And that's a lot of times those of us in the, the people space do get into trouble when we get into corporate environments, into, you know, capitalist society at large, because we use these terms and they sound uh, fluffy or soft. And so um, understanding the science behind it and tying it to the business outcome is also incredibly important. Um, and what we know, like with research on flow in general, um, is there are huge benefits um, so ultimately, Malcolm Gladwell did a study not too long ago, and it's in, um, gosh, I'm blanking on the name of his book, Outliers, um, but he found consistently getting into the flow state can cut the number of hours required to master a skill in half. And the number of hours, by the way, required to gain expertise in something is 10,000 hours of practicing that skill. So if you're able to get into a flow state or create those conditions for your employees and your organization, you can accelerate by over, you know, 200% their ability to achieve results. Um, so to back up a second for folks who aren't as familiar with flow, I might be wondering what that, what exactly that means. Um, Flow state is pushing people just past their comfort zone into a stretch zone, right? So providing experiences or projects that are challenging, require skill, have clear goals, and then being able to provide immediate feedback. Um, the key, though, is that the challenge can't be too easy or too hard. It has to be achievable. So there's this 
Goldilocks zone in the middle, and that's why we call it stretch. Um, so back to your question about how can we think about implementing this process in organizations. Uh, as HR practitioners, we can provide programming at a you know, organizational level around stretch projects and education on why they can be effective. As individuals or managers, we can make sure we're blocking off time each week to work towards our current stretch goals. This is like hugely important, Robert, because the other thing mm -hmm. is you can't get into flow state if you're in back-to-back -back meetings all day. It mm. requires space. It requires intentional time spent on that task that you're that you're working towards mastering. Um, so, at a systemic level, we definitely need to take a hard look at how we get our work done and create that space for our employees. Wow. That is incredible. And, you know, it sounds like, you know, a lot about flow state um, and it's probably because, but could you talk about, <laughs> could you talk about why you know that? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I didn't mention um, my graduate <laughs> program that I went uh, to at Claremont Graduate University. Um, I had the um, wonderful opportunity to study with Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi or Mike Csikszentmihalyi who founded the concept of flow. Uh, so um, this was before he he passed away, but he was we would he was almost kind of like for those who who um, you know celebrate or familiar with like Santa Claus type figure, just like very quiet, unassuming, and incredibly incredibly smart, um, but very soft spoken. And uh, yeah, it was such a privilege to get to study directly with him. That's amazing. Um, and, you know, it seems like, you know, so much about moving organizations. And I think from a DEI perspective, um, it's typically tough to get a lot of people to change behavior. And I think one of those reasons is because of trust. And it seems like trust is something that uh, it's really tough to earn with employees. I mean, uh, could you talk a little bit about your philosophies related to building trust with your employees? Yes, absolutely. And this is something that, you know, I said earlier, my team's focus is on enabling high performance culture at companies. One of the biggest predicting factors of high performing teams is trust. So this is my, this is my team's job, right? Is to make sure that we're helping leaders and managers set the foundation. Um, so I am big on neuroscience and the neuropsychology behind trust at work. Again, I mentioned making sure that you can tie in the soft, softer, I'm using air quotes for people who can't see me, a softer side of, of psychology to the really tangible business um, outcomes. Uh, so the neuropsych, we, my team focuses a lot on principles that are grounded in the neuropsychology of trust. So Dr. Paul Zak, who I also studied with at Claremont, um, has been doing for years really cool research on the science of trust. And he found that there's this magic chemical that the brain creates um, when we're creating trust, which is oxytocin. It's the chemical that, you know, a, a, para, a birthing parent um, produces when they're, uh, when they have a child and they're doing that skin to skin, it creates that immediate bond. It's a, a chemical that is produced when you jump out of an airplane with somebody. <laughs> Always be mindful that not every team can <laughs> can do that. There are different different um, abilities uh, for sure. And so um, my team focuses on the small ways that we can do this at work. Um, we use uh, Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team 
I think they're rebranding it to five cohesions of a team as the framework for this, um, which is a model that moves teams to high performance. It's really similar to Maslow's hierarchy for people who aren't as familiar. The philosophy is a team can't achieve high results together without the foundational components like a pyramid. On the bottom rung is trust. The next rung is healthy conflict, then commitment, accountability to results, and then team shared team goals and success. So the foundational part of that pyramid is trust and this framework, the philosophy behind it is you can't move towards that last rung of team success without that foundation of trust. Um, so some of the ways that we coach our managers and we have in our, within our development programs internally um, and the work that we do is um, you can, as managers, give difficult but achievable goals. We talked about earlier stretch goals. Um, looking at the strengths of your of your people, giving them clear goals, and then giving them the autonomy to get that done. Um, you can also be transparent with the information that you have as leaders. It's important that we're not the creating bottlenecks of information. And so actually when you're transparent and vulnerable with the information that you do know and what you don't know, and you're asking for help as a leader, that creates, creates oxytocin. Um, I think this this is so fascinating. And then the last there's there's several actually. There's eight components that Dr. Zach found, but the other one that my team focuses on is intentional relationship building. The benefits of in intentional relationship building um, as a component of building trust are so huge, Robert. So um, these teams who are able to build intentional relationships and have high trust, 74% less stress. 50% higher productivity, almost 30% more satisfaction, not just at work, with their, but with their lives in general, and then 40% less burnout. This is a huge return to the business, right? Because then, again, capitalist society, people can produce more um, or potentially produce the right things, um, but not at the expense of their own well-being. Yeah, I totally understand that. Um, and I think what I'm, what we're doing now... Um, it's one of the examples of that, you know, your sister really said, hey, Robert, go and do this. And I think that really, um, I mean, it fired me up and it still continues to fire me up. And I think that really built that that trust. Um, and so <laughs> I know that you mentioned that um, there's something you practice called don't skip leg day. Um, could you talk about uh, what that means to you? Yes. <laughs> um, so this is one of my, I, I love this thing. Um, I am not a, uh, I don't, I should be in the gym more actually moving my body, but um, I love this <laughs> saying because one of my biggest pet peeves at work is leaders who don't take time to build team. You can't skip team building. So when I say don't skip like leg day to my leaders, it's don't skip team building. It's one of the hardest things, the balance for sure for so many leaders, because again, there's immense pressure, especially in this macroeconomic environment, as we talked about earlier, to execute on the work that is in front of us. Um, but you know what's going to help teams execute faster and more effectively, building trust among your leadership team. <laughs> and one of the ways that you can accelerate the trust building is team building. Um, so again, there's a balance, but we really do lead with that with our leaders and look at, um, and this is a component that Patrick Lencioni also has, um, this one team mindset. 
um, and first team mindset. So your peers on your leadership team should be your first team and you should be intentionally building relationships with them so that you can execute the work together that, that you have in front of you. The other thing that I want to mention, Robert, you, you said, um, about how Kat has supported you. Um, mm -hmm. I know I didn't name that one specifically, but that's job crafting, right? Where you look at somebody's strengths um, on your team and uh, see what the organization needs are, and you you kind of let them craft their job to lean into their strengths. And as you mentioned, it's one of the things that does create oxytocin, which is um, which is what what our brains are producing when we feel um, trust with somebody textbook. <laughs> um, and so we have a quick uh, speed round. Um, I know we didn't talk about this, but all right, quick speed round. All right, um, I'm ready. All right, Vikings or Packers? Vikings. <laughs> you give me a low ball like that. Of course, it's the Vikings. <laughs> Goal. All right. Um, all right. Um, nine. Oh, hold on. Wait, real world or road rules? <sighs> real world. Yeah. Real true. world. That's real. <laughs> um, and 90 Day Fiance or Love at First Sight? Oh no, Love. Wait, 90 Day Fiance or Love is Blind? Love is Blind. <laughs> I know, I know we're on opposite sides of this one, Robert. I respect it, but Love is Blind has got me under its yeah. <laughs> its hold <laughs> yeah it is a more engaging show like that 30 minutes is like i'm sweating while i'm watching it i'm like oh my gosh um, oh. <laughs> love that show uh <laughs> all right i just have a couple more questions for you but you know um what do you think is the most impactful uh people leader strategy that you've seen work well at companies like like your current company amplitude or what your previous companies disney adidas Tulio and others. So I know you asked for one thing, but I have two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the first may feel pretty basic, but when I say the return on investment is significant, I really mean it. One of the best people at leader strategies beyond having a clear sense of direction is making time for your people. Regular one-on-one -on -one team meetings, ask me anything, AMAs, all hands, Taking the five minutes to check in and listen to your team and investing the time it takes to over communicate and then communicate some more. It seems like sometimes leaders don't have time for this. That is the one of the biggest, most successful leadership strategies that any level leader can do. I don't care if you're a manager of one or a leader of SVP of 500 or, or more, having that communication strategy, taking the time to, to build the, the relationships with your people is essential. And then the second, and I think actually most important one is being a leader does not mean you can no longer be human. The best leaders I've worked with and the ones who are the ones who can name and acknowledge what their team is experiencing, who are self-aware, who provide space for them to be human and who calmly lead their teams forward, right? And there's research that supports that people don't trust leaders who can't name or acknowledge what's what their reality is. So this isn't, again, just like a nice to have. This is essential for building the foundation for your team's performance. Wow, that is incredible. Um, 
And, you know, Marissa, I feel like you've given us a masterclass on all things um, talent success, um, building trust with your uh, employees and just people leadership in general. But um, are there any closing thoughts that you would like for rising leaders um, listening that you would like for, to share with them? It's short and simple. And it's not just because my strengths finders are mostly all in the relationship building <laughs> theme. <laughs> But truly building and fostering relationships with your peers, focus on that now because you'll be leading together one day. So powerful. Marissa, thank you so much for joining us on the Voices of Inclusion podcast. This was such an experience. Thank you. I loved it. Thanks for having me, Robert. Did you like this? Subscribe to the Voices of Inclusion podcast to hear secrets from incredible DEI professionals. Don't forget to go to matheson.io to connect with us so we can help you develop your DEI strategy no matter where you are on your journey. We'll catch you on the next episode.